Well, good morning and welcome to Mile City. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend some time with us. We want to give a shout out to those of you that are from Mile City, the Brismans. Thank you so much for watching. Others of you, some of you are in Florida this weekend enjoying some vacation. So hopefully you've got some great sun and we send you greetings from five degree Detroit. It's just great up here. Can't wait for you to get back. I mean, I love working at Mile City. In fact, uh, the staff here at Mile City is incredible, and we just have the greatest time um, during the week being able to spend some time together and encourage each other. And, and we sometimes have some great, interesting topics that come up. And some of them are serious, like, you know, thinking of ways that we can help more people move towards God. And, and maybe on the teaching team, we get to talk about the messages and what God's speaking to us and what passages he's using. And those, those things are awesome and encouraging. This week, we had a super important discussion. And that discussion was what the best cereal is. Now, I have to be honest. I think that most people, this topic is somewhat important to them. Very rarely will you find someone that doesn't have an opinion on the best cereal. Some people are all about sugary cereals, things like Fruit Loops and Captain Crunch and Count Chocula and Cinnamon Life. Man, they want the sugary cereal that they just it gives them a real charge for the day. Other people are super old school, like cornflakes and Rice Krispies and uh, maybe Cheerios. Or if you're like my dad, shredded wheat, not frosted shredded wheat, but shredded wheat and those big biscuits. That was just the most disgusting thing ever. I grew up and I'm a little bit old school in the fact that I am a Kellogg's raisin bran kind of guy. And when I really want to feel dangerous, maybe some raisin bran crunch. But I have to be honest. Every once in a while, I like a good bowl of Frosted Flakes with some bananas or strawberries or some kind of berries on top. Man, that's good stuff. But I do remember there was one kind of cereal when I was growing up that my mom would buy once in a while that was just inspiring, and that was a good box of Wheaties. Now, I have to be honest, Wheaties, now we are talking even today, Wheaties um, really taste like cardboard. But I remember as a kid, you got Wheaties because you got to see who was on the box. And right now they've got this special edition out. Muhammad Ali is on the box. And we would think about Wheaties when I, I can remember sitting there as a kid reading what was on the back about that athlete and what they'd accomplished. And, and just thinking, man, if I eat my Wheaties, I could be this person. I remember, I'm old enough to remember in 1984 when Mary Lou Retton made the cover after she won the Olympic gold for gymnastics. And, and thinking and just looking at the Michael Jordan and I know LeBron James is on it and all these athletes and thinking, man, if I eat my Wheaties, I could be this person. And playing sports as a kid, your coach would ask you, did you eat your Wheaties this morning? But some of us, we say, listen, uh, cereal is not my jam. That, Come on, I never thought that I could be Muhammad Ali or LeBron James or anything like that. But, you know, we're in this new year and, and we're in January. And come New Year, we like to set New Year's resolutions. And for some of us, a lot of us, the resolution is, hey, I'm going to get back in the gym. I'm going to get in shape in 2022. And I'm one of those people. I, I was going to the gym last year, faithfully kind of dropped off towards the end. And so I'm back in the gym this week. And man, last weekend, I was watching football on TV and a commercial popped up and it was for the WWE. And man, those athletes on there, whether you think it's fake or not, which it is, I, we all understand that, but those athletes are incredible. And I started looking at those bodies. I'm like, man, that is my inspiration. In fact, this week, Maya helped me create some inspiration. Look at this. 
This is, believe it or not, this is not my body, but this is my face. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And man, I've got this picture hanging on my bathroom mirror at home because I know if I go to the gym and I work hard, this could be me. But let's be honest, in all reality, you and I both know that's not going to be me. And even I, I'm not going to take, say, I'm going to save myself the embarrassment of taking off my jacket and my shirt so you can see my body is nowhere close to that. And we think about that and we know that looking at an athlete on a box of cereal and eating that cereal or swapping out our picture with some famous athlete, that's really not going to accomplish anything. Now, in order to get to that point of having our picture on a, on a cereal box or looking like a professional wrestler or a professional athlete, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of dedication. It's going to take a lot of time. And I've got to be honest, me eating my pancake breakfast with eggs and bacon and hitting the treadmill 30 minutes every other week just isn't going to cut it. But so many people treat their Christian life like that. They have a desire, they have a want to look more like Christ and to live a life that pleases Christ. But so many times if it takes more than a Sunday morning service or maybe even an occasional city group or a small group, then you can count them out. But what causes us to miss the joy that comes from the life we've been talking about the last several weeks is not being committed to this. See, we live this life that's empty and we desire more, yet we miss the mark on what can satisfy that need. And if you're watching today, maybe you're wondering, is Jesus really who can meet that need? Is Jesus the one that can satisfy me? And and we want to tell you here at Miles City a resounding yes. He is the one that can bring real joy. He is the one that can bring real contentment. Real purpose comes from him. But what we're going to see today in the second chapter of Philippians is that that's not just Jesus doing it all and us just sitting and hoping it happens to us. There are things that we can do that can bring about this joy in our life, that can bring about happiness and contentment. And instead of having to dream about looking like an athlete on the front of a Wheaties box or superimposing our face on some athlete's body, we can live in the reality of being who God has created us to be. But before we do that today, let's take a moment and ask God to speak through us through his word. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you today for this opportunity that we have to open scripture and to see how to have joy in our life. God, we're grateful for what you've done for us. We're grateful for the word that is written that we can look at, that we can apply, that we can listen to. And God, I just ask over the next few minutes that you would calm our hearts, that you would uh, remove distractions around us, that we would be able to spend some time hearing from you and from Scripture itself. God, we'll give you the praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the past three weeks, as we've dove into the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And we've looked at the first chapter. We find that joy, that there's joy in living for Christ. But what has to happen is we have to get our eyes off the circumstances around us and we have to put them on Christ. We have to quit looking at what's going on around us and focus in on him. 
And Paul even said that, you know, it would be great to be with Christ, but he was happy exactly where he was now. And that was in prison writing letters because he understood that this was what God had for him. And it brought him joy. It brought him contentment. And so in chapter two, Paul begins to dive in a little deeper and says, listen, I want you to understand what joy is all about. But this is what's going to have to happen in your life. So let's look at chapter two together in verse number one. Philippians two and verse number one says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He goes on to say this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So here we see Paul giving these followers of Christ, this church that's in its infant stage, the key to finding the sweet spot in the life of a Christian, the key to pleasing Christ, the key key to having joy and contentment. He reminds them, first of all, of what Christ had done for that. Then in verse number one, he starts to remind them that, listen, he's given you encouragement. He's given you love. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you affection and mercy. And so he says, listen, we need to have that same mind. We need to have that same goal. And he said, the key to all of this is humility. The key to finding joy in the Christian life is to live a humble life. I enjoyed this definition of humility that I read this week. It's humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let that sink in. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And Paul is challenging the church to all be of the same mind to all be on the same page by living humbly. He knew that everybody had to do this for this to work properly. He wasn't encouraging just some of the church. This wasn't just for some of the Christ followers, but this is for everyone that claimed to be a follower of Christ, for everyone that claimed to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This humility isn't the idea of becoming a doormat or giving up all our wants and desires and just going with the flow everywhere we go and never having an opinion. That's not what Paul is saying here. What he is saying, though, is life becomes less about us and more about others. We live in a society that encourages us to get what is ours, to look out for ourselves, to look out for number one. And Paul is saying, no, that's contrary, because that was what the Romans were teaching. That was what they had heard growing up. These folks in Philippi had heard this their whole life. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way we want to live. It's a shift in thinking of ourselves and thinking for others. Paul was a typewriter who loved to use illustrations. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote over half of the New Testament. In any letter that you read, he loves to use people or events or illustrations to try to help get his point across. And Paul says, listen, I want to do that here. And what he does is he plays the ultimate card. He plays the Jesus card. He says, let's look at the life of Jesus. Let's look at the kind of example he was to help you understand what humility is all about. So let's look at that ourselves. Philippians chapter two and verse number five says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He goes on in verse number eight and says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It says in verse number 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we have to be honest here. This passage of seven verses, weeks could be spent on how great a passage is this and what Jesus has done for us and just unpacking all that goes on in this passage but the gist of it is this. Jesus' life was marked by service to others. If you spend time in the Gospels, the Gospels are the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were to open up Scripture to those, the beginning of the New Testament, and we'll start, start to read about the life of Jesus, you'll see that he was constantly serving others. He served fishermen. He served beggars. He served lepers. He served prostitutes. He served tax collectors. He even served wedding attenders. He would serve anyone and everyone. He was willing to empty himself of the privileges of being God. When it says that he emptied himself, some want to teach that he quit being God, and that's not the truth. Jesus always was and always will be God. That never stopped. But what he did empty himself was the privilege that he had sitting on the right hand of God, being in heaven, all the power and privilege that came with that. He set that aside so that he could be born as a human. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. See, I don't understand that. Well, to be honest, it's hard to explain it. It might not be till we get to the other side, till we get to be with Jesus himself to have him explain that to us. But Scripture teaches that he was God, he was fully God, he was fully man. And he did all that so that he could become human and serve us. But his humility didn't stop at service. It continued to the sacrifice. See, he set aside his will and did the will of his father, and he gave his life a sacrifice for us. This death, this burial, this resurrection was necessary for us to have eternal life, for us to have a relationship with him. If it wasn't for that, we would have no hope for eternity. See, many believe that this is what our life is all about, what we do out here on earth, but it's just a small part of our life. Life really begins in eternity, and eternity is either a home in heaven with God and with Jesus or a home separated from God in hell for all of eternity. And Paul made it clear that, listen, Jesus modeled this humility because humility is marked by service and sacrifice. And he did that because he loves us. He did that because he was willing to put his wants, his desires to the side to serve and sacrifice for us. And because of that, the closing of that part of Scripture says, listen, God's exalted him. He's given him a name. We believe that Bible teaches that name is Lord. He's become the Lord, and when he becomes the Lord of our life, again, we quit making life about us and more about him. Paul goes on in verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, now, I grew up in a preacher's home. My dad's been a preacher my whole life. And he would like to say this, when the word therefore is in Scripture, you stop and see what it's there for. 
And that's what Paul is trying to get the Christians to do at this point. He's saying, listen, because of what Christ has done for us, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he's saying, listen, you guys have done a great job. You're my beloved. I love you. I love what I'm hearing that you're doing, even when I'm not there. He says to him, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now this passage can be difficult because it seems to sound like Paul is saying that we have to work for our salvation. In other parts of Scripture, and other, even other parts of Paul's writing, it, it seems that he teaches that salvation is all about what Jesus has done for us and not what we can do for Jesus. And even from this stage, we talk about how Jesus has done the work. We don't have to do the work that he's done it for. Salvation is free. Salvation is given freely. But the key to this passage is not work for your own salvation, but work out your salvation. And this is the idea of a word that we like to use called sanctification. This is the idea when we give our life to Christ, salvation begins in our life and salvation continues. And this continuing is called sanctification. That's a setting apart. That's making us look more like Jesus day after day after day, where we become more holy, we become more righteous, we become more humble. It's a process that happens in our life. And this process isn't alone because he says it's God who works in you. See, we have to trust that the process of humility shows the power of God. God doesn't leave us alone when we accept Jesus as our Savior. When we give our life over to him, Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. And that's the power of God in our life. But not only does he show his power, he also shows his will. Our will begins to become his will. And our desires change. Life no longer is about us. It's about others around us. But we have to trust the process. We have to understand it's God's power in us that allows us to not make life about ourselves. Because we like to do that. We like to be in control. We want us to have ourselves to have all the answers. And God says, no, I've got the answers. But you got to let me go through this process. And the process is what brings humility. Paul goes on in verse number 14 and says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He finishes in verse 16 by saying, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. It seems like Paul, again, is shifting direction. Like, where is he going? Why is he talking to us about not grumbling and complaining and fighting? and all? What's that have to do with anything? Well, I thought about that, and in my life, uh, I have some teenagers in our house. And I love teenagers. And I love this part of life that they're in. It's, it's awesome to see them maturing, not only emotionally and physically and mentally, but also spiritually, and just seeing the growth that they have. But what I've also found is that sometimes teenagers can grumble and complain and fight. Every once in a while, that breaks out in our house complaining, whining, fighting. And you know what 
happens, you know what the root of all that is, is they begin making life about themselves. But the hard lesson I've learned is it's not just the teenagers in my house that do that, it's also the adults. And so many times we as adults, we begin to complain and we begin to grumble and we begin to fight and it's because life becomes about us. And Paul is encouraging the believers, the followers of Christ in this church at Philippi. He says, listen, do all things without this because we're supposed to be lights to the world. It's hard to attract people to something in the church. It's hard to attract people to something in our life when all we do is whine and complain. When all we do is fight. If that's our philosophy, if that's the way that we want to live our life, that's not very attractive. See, it's hard for us to shine when all we do is whine. Let that sink in. It's hard for us to shine when all we want to do is whine. My wife is not very attracted to me when all I do is whine and complain and fight. And just like that, the world is not going to be attracted to what we have in Jesus if all we want to do is complain. And so Paul says, this has got to stop. You've got to stop it so that you can be attractive to the world. And that works when I live a life of humility, when I am humble in my attitude, when life isn't about me, it allows me to be a shining light for the truth of what Jesus has done for me. Paul wraps up this passage in verse number 17 and 18 where he says this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul gets to the end. And he says, let me wrap up this thought by telling you I'm willing to be a sacrifice. But not only am I willing to be a sacrifice, I'm going to be happy and rejoice in it. I'm going to find joy in sacrificing for you. Earlier, earlier we said that humility is service and sacrifice. And we kind of promoted that service part. We got thinking about where do, where do I fall on that? Am I willing to serve? But there's more to humility than just serving. It also comes with sacrifice. Service doesn't really cost us much. We serve on our own terms. Here at Mile City, we have hundreds of people that volunteer and serve on our crew. And Mile City would not be able to operate without people volunteering and people giving of their time and serving. But let's be honest, service comes on our terms. Sacrifice is a lot more difficult. And so many times we want to serve, but we want to keep sacrifice at arm's length. We don't want to give into it. But humility doesn't end with service. It also contains sacrifice. It cost us something. Paul was willing to be, he said, poured out as a drink offering. The idea is that I'm willing to shed my blood for you because that's what God's called me to do and I'm rejoicing in it. I'm happy in it. I find joy in it because life isn't about me. Paul had figured out his life was not about himself. He wasn't looking out for number one. He was looking out for these new believers. He was looking out for these followers of Christ in this infant baby church that was trying to figure things out because he said, this is where I find joy. This is where I find contentment. It's in humbling myself. 
So our question today is, do we find joy in humility? As we wrap this up and we we think about humility, are we finding humility in our life? Is that what we're about? Are we willing to serve and sacrifice? Are we celebrating seeing God's power work through us in this process of humility and seeing where God, where I once was and where I am now and just being able to celebrate how God has worked in us? Or do we find ourselves struggling with that? Are we looking for joys in other areas because we want life to be about us? In my own life, I spent years searching for answers and joy and happiness. And I made life about me. And because of it, that joy was fleeting. It only lasted for a season. And I was miserable because I wasn't submitted to the process. I wasn't allowing God to work through me. I wasn't allowing his power and his will to have its way with me. So today, I want to challenge you as you listen. Do you find joy in humility? You want to have joy in your life? Make your life about others, not you. Maybe you're watching today and you say, I'm searching for something. I'm not sure what it is, but my life is not where I want it to be. And Paul did a great job of using Jesus Christ in his example of humility. And what Jesus did for us was he left his home in heaven to come to earth so that he could pay the penalty and the price for our sin. He did that so that he could have a relationship with us. And so he was buried. He died on that cross. He was buried, but three days later he rose again to show that he had power over death and sin so that he could have a relationship with you so that he could have a relationship with me. And if you want to find joy in life, if you really want true joy, not something temporary, not something fleeting, but something that will last, today you can give your life to Jesus because I promise you, he is the answer. Your problems don't all go away. There's still difficult times for people that follow after Christ, just like for those that don't. But just like the Apostle Paul, we can find joy even in circumstances that seem to bring no joy because he understood this is where God has me and he had a joy unspeakable. And you can have that today by giving your life to Christ. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is just bow your head with me for just a moment and I want you to talk to God. We call it prayer, but all that is is having a conversation with God. In this conversation, I want you to kind of pour out your heart to him and you could say something like this, say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and that today I want to give my life over to you. I want to accept that gift of salvation that you offer freely. Today, the best I know how I want to put my faith and trust in you. And thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And so I set aside my pride And I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you gave your life to Christ, we want to celebrate with you. That's the best decision you could ever make. It's the most important decision you could ever make. 
And so if you would do me a favor by just texting the word Mile City to the number that you see on the screen and one of our staff will follow up with you this week and we just want to answer any questions that you might have if you have anything that you'd like us to pray with you about. But we want to encourage you on your walk with Christ.